Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is the podcast where comics and politics meet. And it's also the podcast where we have been observing that lots of comic book nerds are taking up playing tabletop role-playing games online right now, particularly during COVID as a hobby. Um, You know, I've been playing role-playing games for a number of years now. Uh, You know, Brett, my former co-host, does. And in fact, graphicpolicy.com does cover games a bit. Uh, But right now, during COVID, I've been seeing just more people than ever before uh, looking into trying to play tabletop role-playing games, particularly online, as a social activity they can do with friends or with new people during the time of social distancing. And when you're trying to get into a new hobby, as any comics fan can probably relate, uh, it can take a little bit to figure out how to get involved in a game how to connect with people, thinking about good places to start. And it is our mission today to help you get a start in it as well. Now, I think this episode will offer a lot to folks who are longtime RPG players as well. So, you know, whether you are completely new to role-playing games or maybe you're just getting started, maybe you are a longtime player who is just moving their game to be an online game now after having been in person for a long time, Maybe you've been playing D&D for years and you're in a bit of a rut and you're looking for some new tabletop RPG games to get into. No matter what the situation, this is the spot to be. And I am really excited to introduce three new guests who will be joining me to talk about it. Uh, Joining me is Jess Ross, she or they. Um, Jess is an editor, writer, and podcaster. She plays D&D with the D20 Dames, a family-friendly actual play podcast that I quite enjoy. You can find all of Jess's writing on their website, writejess.com, or follow them on Twitter at writejessr. Jess, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It was really appreciative that you got back to me because I totally cold messaged you on Twitter out of nowhere. So, <laughs> Yeah, no worries. Well, I certainly know you know how to podcast. And my other two guests are also podcast folks. Uh, Joining me as well is Mike Kelly, who is a co-host of the One Shot Test Kitchen podcast, which is a real play podcast of different indie pen and paper RPGs. He is a game designer slash writer and public speaker about games based out of Brooklyn, New York. You can find him on Twitter at Gallonblade with a G. Mike, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm even talking about doing this for a long time, and I'm excited to finally do it. I've been friends with Mike for like, I don't know, 15 years or something crazy like that. Something absurd. And I think for about five years, we were saying, we need to do something on the podcast, and glad we're finally able to do it. Indeed. And joining me as a guest is April Lynn Cowett. April Lynn is co-host of One Shot Test Kitchen podcast as well. She is also co-founder and chief resource nerd at Love Thy Nerd, which is a nerd culture ministry that exists to love and serve their nerdy neighbors through thoughtful content, intentional community, and relational outreach. You can find her on Instagram at A-L-C-A-O-U-E-T-T-E and on the web at lovethynerd.com. Nice to meet you, April Lynn. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Thanks for having me. So I want to kick it off just real in general, like... What is it that attracts you guys to RPGs, to tabletop RPGs? Like, what, what is it that made you fall in love with this activity? Do, do you want to start, April Lynn? Sure, yeah. So I think what I love most about them is just the getting together with 
some of my friends or some strangers and telling a great story together. Uh, And sometimes those stories are funny. Sometimes they're scary. Sometimes they really dig deep into social issues or personal issues. Um, But just that experience of sitting down for two to four hours, either one time or over the course of many times, um, and getting to know people a little bit better through the story that you can tell. Mm. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I I really love stories. I really love creating them and, um, like, working together to build a story, which is really what I, I kind of think, you know, tabletop RPGs are all about. Like, getting together to really, you know, build worlds and just have fun as you create really interesting moments that, like... Uh, that you couldn't have otherwise. Like I play a lot of video games and stuff like that. And a lot of stuff is scripted, but in tabletop, it's like anything can happen. And that's part of the excitement of it for me. One of my favorite things that I think anyone has said on my podcast in the past was when Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans were on to talk about their comic book slash role-playing game, Die. Uh, Kieran said um, that uh, role-playing game groups are like, it's like a band but for storytelling. And that yeah. just, like, well, yeah. So we got to figure out how do we meet our bandmates and get started. <laughs> Jess, what about you? Uh, similar to what April Lynn and Mike said, I really like the collaborative storytelling aspect of it. Um, I, I definitely prefer playing with friends uh, over strangers, though I do also play with strangers occasionally. And mm-hmm. uh, just like the most exciting part of it, the most enjoyable part of it is being able to tell a story with people who I know and who I trust because that gives you the space to be very vulnerable and to create a really interesting story um, with a lot of just uh, maybe unusual things that you know can be can be a little bit intimidating if you're doing it with people you don't know as well. But creating a, a story where you really have the freedom to just go all out to try new things, uh, just to be just to take risks is is very exciting. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I you know, I think that one of the barriers that folks will sometimes find first encounter when they're trying to get into role-playing games is like how do you how do you find people to play with in the first place? I know that that was a barrier for me because there's always seems to be more people who want to play than there are game masters, dungeon masters or for those who don't know, it's who the person who like actually runs the game, which is not even a role that necessarily exists in all role-playing games, but certainly does exist in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but additionally, there's just questions of like, you know, how do you connect with other people who want to play? And at one point, the answer was pretty straightforwardly, like at a game store could be one place that you might do it. Uh, but now that's gotten a little bit more complicated. How, how are you, how are you folks help, talked with other folks who were trying to get into games and help them figure out ways to start with others? Well, I mean, it's very difficult these days in some respects like because it's all online, uh, but it's also very easy because everyone's at home and, you know, they have the time to actually do it. Uh, I approach people that I know who, you know, may not be, you know, like hardcore tabletop nerds like uh, the rest of us, and I try to approach them with a game that, like, speaks to their interests pretty uh, pretty directly. Like... Um, there is a game that we're going to be doing uh, upcoming on our podcast called Golden Sky Stories, which is a very, very light, heartwarming kind of thing. And I asked a friend who has never touched a tabletop RPG, like, do you want to take part in this? And she leapt at the opportunity. 
Uh, mm. I think you can find uh, people if you find, you know, if you pitch them right and whatnot, and if they have the time, which is always a big consideration. Someone I know actually wrote in to say that they are, uh, they, organ- they still organize a public D&D game day at their local store that's moved, on, that's moved online for COVID. And so they have game days every first and third Saturday with three slots of Adventurers League play and like 10 to 15 tables each that they're managing, including dungeon master trainings, new player orientations, uh, code of conduct, anti-harassment policy, and safety tools to implement when when players feel unsafe. And I mean, that's so important to like, if you're running a Mm -hmm. thing for multiple people, like to have a process for addressing things that might be complicated or or uncool. and he's based out of L.A., and they've moved online since. Um, actually, you know what? He didn't mention the name of who they were, and I'm going to try to message him while we're doing this. Uh, <laughs> but have folks, have folks heard of other sort of setups like that one? Uh, well, one thing that I was thinking of as I was preparing for this is uh, a way to meet people that you wouldn't normally think of um, going to, well, I mean, maybe you would, is conventions, uh, so if you're going mm-hmm. to a local convention, that's a great way to meet new people to play games. Um, but what's really great right now is that everybody is kind of local to the same extent um, because we're all meeting online right now. So distance isn't necessarily a hurdle the way it would normally be. Um, and there are actually right. a lot of nerd conventions, uh, gaming or comics or whatnot, that have moved online. So I know Dragon Con is happening this weekend and uh, PAX Online is happening, I believe, next weekend. Um, I don't... um, So I don't know when that coincides with when this will actually get published, but there are a number of conventions Mm -hmm. that are happening throughout the year that are happening online. And so people are arranging, um, you know, role-playing sessions. So that would be a great way to jump into a session with people you don't know. Uh, Also a great way to learn from game publishers about games that are either coming up or that they're promoting um, and finding new gaming groups if you don't already have one and don't have anybody in your immediate friend circle who has any interest. I love it. Yeah, there's the the online conventions is definitely a big one right now, especially ones that really focus on sort of the community aspect that, that they can build online right now because everyone is stuck at home. Um, so there's a an online uh, convention of sorts called the Very Very Shopping Network. That uh, the <laughs> the first one happened because um, it, it was launched when Emerald City Comic Con was canceled because there were so many people, uh, especially like artists, who basically make their living from Artist Alley. So it was launched as a way to to help those people and just like display their wares and get some sales online because they weren't going to be able to go to Emerald City. And this was still pretty early on when people like weren't really sure how serious uh, everything was. And it's continued since then, and they've done it, uh, I think, every other month. Um, but they had a recent uh, tabletop RPG episode where they just had a bunch of people come on and talk about the the things they do with TRPGs. And one of the guests they had on were people from the Emerald City Game Masters Guild, I want to say is what it's called. And they're basically mm-hmm. an organization, uh, I think similar to what you were talking about, um, Ilana, that uh, basically it's an organization that like they just have a group of GMs and you can like go to their website and say, yes, I want a GM to uh, lead us through a and d campaign. There are five of us and we want to play for three hours, hook us up and they'll like schedule you time with a GM. Uh, so I think probably if there aren't already a ton of those, I think more, more uh, programs like that are going to start uh, popping up 
probably because it's, I think there's a really big demand. Like that is sort of the common thing is that everyone wants to play, but no one wants to GM. So if there are people yeah. who want to do that, they, they tend to be in pretty high demand pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the questions that got sent in was someone saying that they would like to learn how to DM. They've played before. They don't consider themselves even an expert at playing, but they do play regularly. And that they were looking to learn how to be a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons. And if folks have suggestions of how to learn to, to do that. So honestly, I, I, I definitely understand that uh, worry because I was worried the first time I tried to be the GM for a game. Um, but I found that like the best way to learn was to just get started playing, like by the Dungeon Master's Guide if they're playing D&D or by the, the rule book if they're playing something else, um, like read up enough that they can, they, they understand the basic rules and just sort of like trial and error it. If that is the sort of thing that would work mm-hmm. for them, I think some people really need to get like more in depth on learning before they start. But definitely the way I did it and the way that I found just ended up really, really working for me is I just sort of started like reading enough and was like, you know, what? I want to play this and no one else wants to GM. So I'm just going to get a group of my friends together and we're going to play Blue Rose. And I don't mind like we were all learning it together and none of them had played Blue Rose. I hadn't played Blue Rose before and I was trying to GM it and we just sort of learned together. And I, I think it mm. definitely helps if you get a group of people who who all want to learn the TRPG that you're playing. Because like if, if none of them have any experience, you're all kind of on the same page. You'll all hopefully be very patient with one another and just like have this great experience of of learning. Yeah. Yeah. Do do you think it's easier to start with a pre a pre-designed like game pack then to to to, to if you're doing like Dungeons and Dragons and there's like a, a you know like particular games you can buy? Uh, I think it can be. I think it depends on the kind of story you want to tell. Um, I I did start with the adventure that came in the back of the rule book when I uh, was learning how to GM Blue Rose. But my very next adventure after that, I tried to start with another pre-written adventure and like within minutes basically started rewriting it to suit my group's needs. So mm. I, I think it can be, but it can also be like just as fine, even just to find like a, a pre-written encounter rather than an entire adventure and then build an adventure based on that. Part of it, I think, depends on your group and how how willing they are to kind of just like go with the flow because sometimes you get those groups who kind of like push back and like won't take the story hook and that yeah. makes it difficult. But if you get people who are willing to be like, yeah, let's just like, let's play and let's see how it goes. It can be much more freeing. It can be a a lot easier to sort of be vulnerable and admit like, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing. I need you all to like be with me on this. Let's figure stuff out together um, and kind of kind of go from there. So I I think really it just depends on the person. I think you can also get a sense of what people are are there for. Like um, some people are just really want to beat up monsters and some people want to have more of an improvisational storytelling and are less interested in stats Mm -hmm. and sort of understanding where your participants' interests lie is is really is really helpful. And the other piece that I feel like I've seen some newer GMs or DMs, dungeon masters or game masters, missing is not really listening when players give them the, um, the their their character descriptions and their character bios, and so not really building stuff that works for the worlds of the people who are created for it. Um, yeah, but that's that's just something I've seen. Mike, you were going to say something? Uh, yeah. I mean, the one thing about DMing is that, you know, ask every, you know, any DM uh, that, you know, anyone who is currently DMing and they will almost invariably say that they are DMing because no one else wanted to in their friend group. Mm. Um, 
And honestly, like it looks daunting, but it is a lot of fun and it is a lot more, a lot easier than you think it is to get into it. And actually right now, because of uh, the pandemic, places like um, uh, Wizards of the Coast are doing a lot of things to really onboard DMs a lot because they are they also know that like there's more players than there are uh, game masters to actually do it. So they have a lot of resources and they're doing a lot of real play stuff, uh, streaming out uh, game sessions on Twitch, uh, you know, the, you know, as, as we are evidence of, you know, the real play podcast uh, circuit is kind of exploding at the moment. And there's a lot of ways to get the knowledge of, you know, how to play either D and D or any new game system you're thinking about uh, just by looking at, you know, the material that's out there already. Yeah, and just to to add into that, um, I think some of the great ways to learn how to GM is to listen to, you know, pay attention when other people are GMing, either from, you know, listening to these real play podcasts or when you're in a role playing game that you are a participant in, uh, a player rather than a GM is pay attention to how the GM does it, maybe ask them for tips. Um, and also there's just a wealth of information through Facebook groups and, um, you know, uh, Board Game Geek has a role-playing geek version. So go to roleplayinggeek.com um, or rpggeek.com, I think it is, and go to the forums and just ask people. And GMs usually are very excited about giving what knowledge they have to new GMs, um, you know, tips, tricks, hints. Uh, but uh, for me, it's been finding people who I know that that I can trust to be patient with me as I learn those skills um, and knowing that they're not going to abandon me if they don't like my first attempt. Mm, that's important. Um, oh, I found the website for my friend's group that he was mentioning that folks can check out, which is called Warhorn uh, D&D Adventure League Game Empire Pasadena, California. I'll include the link in the show notes for folks. Um, you know, one of the things that was really essential for me when I was first starting to learn was having a friend who kind of understood how my brain's peculiarities worked and was able to help support me in, like, learning the game because the, 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 the for Dungeons & Dragons specifically, like, the rule book is just, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to read it. Like, I couldn't, po- it's just too much that I could possibly grasp. Um, but I definitely think that listening to things like real play podcasts, which weren't actually a thing when I began playing, like would have been super valuable for me as well. Um, but shout out to Dawson in the real world for definitely like babysitting my super ADD self through figuring out how to play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you know, I think Dungeons and Dragons is a lot of people's first game because it's the one that is most known and most drawn to, but I, in some ways I think it's kind of not the best first game for folks Um, because it's, well, at least for me, it's, and it also, you know, a lot depends on how your, your, your DM works, but it can be very rules heavy. And I've, I've figured out ways to play it that are less mathy, but um, it can be a bit mathy and detail oriented. And I'd love to know what folks think about, like, do you think Dungeons and Dragons is a good first game for folks? Or do you think there's other games that might be good, better starting points? Well, it, it kind of depends. Like, I mean, D&D, D&D by, by leaps and bounds has the most material out there to help you learn it um, mm. of any game system. 
Um, that said, like the point of like, you know, yeah, there's a lot of different roles and different stats and a lot of things to keep track of. Um, we've seen a little bit of success. Our, our other co-host actually uh, ran a game uh, of an, an indie game that's pretty well known called Lasers and Feelings. Yes. Uh, yes. And I, I know a lot of you're familiar with it. Um, but that is a like that is a one page RPG. Literally all the rules are on one page and there is one mechanic, which is basically you roll two six sided die to determine everything. Um, it the game is somewhat reliant on, you know, your ability to improv and, and whatnot. But uh, she found it as a very, very useful tool, specifically one of the hacks uh, not the sci-fi version, but one that's closer to a D&D high fantasy-like experience to help people understand the basic flow of the game uh, very, very early. Um, you know, so it's kind of like you build upon that core idea of role-playing and skill checks and whatnot, and you expand out from there, and maybe then they get into uh, D&D or Pathfinder or what have you. Um, and, le- and Lasers and Feelings is a joke about Star Trek, basically, guys, as you... My, yeah. In case you haven't known, yeah, like Star Trek is all about lasers and feelings, and also politics, but certainly lasers and feelings. Just what do you think? Um, I think it's it really depends on the the group, the people that you're with, because I can see. I can see how there would be like a lot because there are so many other games out there. I can see how there are some that would feel um, much more welcoming, like much more approachable to to new mm-hmm. players. Um, but I've also found occasionally that new players who want to get into into TRPGs because D and D is kind of the big name, they don't want to start with something else. They want to dive mm-hmm. into D and D and are very resistant to trying anything else. And then there's a thing there of like. Do you try to fight them on it and say, like, no, I really think this other one was good for you? Or just say, like, okay, that's fine. I'll teach you D&D, and then you can decide what to do from there. Um, so I, before, uh, in the before times when we were allowed outside, um, <laughs> I there was a comic book store uh, locally here. I live in Seattle, and I would go there about once a month and do, like, D&D for beginners. And I would just have this night where I taught D&D, and I basically, I think, probably similar to what you were talking about, Alana, is finding other ways to play it, is I really, really simplified it. I took out all of the rules that you didn't really need and just tried to do, like, the very basic, like, here's just, like, overall how you play D&D. We don't need to get in the nitty-gritty. We don't need the, like, very, very specific rules that, you know, only apply in very, very specific circumstances. Like, we are just going to go over the rules that will apply for tonight's session just to, like, get you introduced to D&D and that because it's just like D&D for beginners, this is just to get you started. And then from there, like you have the the player's handbook or you can go pick one up because they sold it in the comic book store. So from there, you can decide like if you want to keep going for the, from like with this game or if you want to try something else. And I think that's, a, I mean, when we were allowed outside, that was a good way to do it. But similarly, <laughs> like if you can find a, an online group to kind of do that. Just like D&D for beginners, a really simplified version. We're not going to get into like into the weeds with the very, very specific stuff. Um, but also, uh, like Mike said, because D&D is really just like the big one, there's so much out there. There are so many resources. And honestly, um, D&D Beyond is uh, a really big one that mm. uh, because you can build your character sheet in it, it takes out a lot of the the math and a lot of the really confusing parts about building your character that I think yeah. something like D&D Beyond makes, makes D&D just way more approachable. Um, it makes it so much easier to get into because, honestly, the first time I tried to play D&D like 10, 15 years ago, I remember sitting down to like make my character sheet and I was looking at like all of these places to put in like numbers and weird information. And I 
was not getting it and the the person explaining it was trying to teach like 15 people at once and it was very overwhelming and I ended up like not liking it. I ended up like being done with D&D for like 10 years and didn't get back into it until a couple of years ago. And and that like something like D&D Beyond I think is a, a huge help. If I had had something like that when I tried it forever ago, I would be I would have had a, a better chance of getting into it because again, it just makes it so much easier to get started. That's true. That's true. April Lynn? So I think, so personally, D&D is not my favorite game. Um, and part of that is just because it's do, it's got so much going on at the same time. Um, so much of the stats and the storytelling and it, it's just a lot. Um, and I think that one thing I would think about is ask what are you looking for in your role-playing game experience? Are you looking for more of the storytelling aspect with less restriction on the stats? Then you might be more interested in more of a storytelling type game that has a lot fewer stats, um, like one of the indie type mm-hmm. games that Mike and I cover on our podcast. Um, or if you're really more interested in that dungeon crawl, fighting monsters, miniatures on a map, um, you might want to start with something like one of the board games that takes a lot of those aspects like Gloomhaven or Mice and Mystics um, hmm. or Arkham Horror, something that is less about the story, you know, tells you what the story is and you don't have to do any improv or acting, uh, but you get the experience of wandering through the dungeons and fighting off monsters. Uh, and a lot of times without anybody needing to do any GM work uh, because the game has already done all that work for you. Um, so there's a lot of options there. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I D D was my first tabletop role playing game, and I definitely had a real learning curve when it came to a number of things. And I figured out through trial and error that the character class that worked best for me to play, um, based on the way the mechanics worked, was bard. And so. But I was like, I'm never going to do a basic bitch bard. I'm never going to have a bard that's like your standard, like, tropey bard because that's no creativity in that. I'm only going to just do ones that are not at all like uh, any sort of default character line. And um, so, but it also, as a result, like, I was never going to be able to tank or anything because it felt like tank meaning be like the big, strong person who just jumps into fights and beats up everything because the way, the, the, the classes in D&D that really let you do that were ones that just felt way too mathy for me to like even want to deal with it. And so one time my friends were proposing that we do a game called um, Monster of the Week. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is on the Apocalypse Engine, I guess, which is like a, a, a game structure that then people, I guess, have reskinned with different kinds mm-hmm. of skins. And, you know, the initial setting of it is sort of based on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but like we're nerds. So people are like, no, 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 we're going to make this set in Victorian England instead. And, <laughs> um, and that was the game where I was like, I looked at the how to play it and I realized like there's like no math in this. I'm going to tank. <laughs> and so this was like the one time I was like, yes, I can actually try this different kind of character because there's just very, the rules are very straightforward. It has very few variables and there's just no, there's just like really very, very little math. Um, so if that, if that sounds like you, then, th- then this might be a good, um, and Monster of the Week, if I'm not mistaken, is pretty popular. So I think you'll probably be able to find other, other folks who uh, would know how to play. Um, but I think for me, that might have been a better starting game even than than starting with Dungeons & Dragons, which is where I did. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so I actually played my first game that was in that apocalypse world. Um, it's called Powered by the Apocalypse is kind of the overall system that you can adapt. Um, we played one uh, about fighter pi- fighter bombers in World War II, this all-women's uh, bombing unit <laughs> of Love all it. things. Um, but what it was really interesting to me, using that kind of structure for a game, the Powered by the Apocalypse structure really worked for me I felt like that was a good balance of mechanics and storytelling um, that I think D&D is just bloated with mechanics sometimes which for some people is great some people love that mm-hmm. um, but if that's not you and that just seems overwhelming um, yeah maybe looking into more of those games that are powered by the apocalypse um, would be a good starting place and there are tons of them I mean in all sorts of genres uh, there's one called Monster Hearts which is Again, a very a Buffy the Vampire Slayer-like teen monsters and monster hunters working together to save the world. Uh, there's one that I'm going to be running called Glitter Hearts, which is a similar thing, but with magical girls. Um, there's Dungeon World, which is a very standard, like that's the, the original, like we're going through a dungeon like in Dungeons and Dragons, but with less of the math and stats. Mm. Yeah, And the, I would just I say mean, for folks who are... No, sorry. The only thing I was going to say is that so Dungeons and Dragons, like, you know, it was like among the first ones because it grew out of uh, like the very, very old like wargaming community, Mm -hmm. like the like the old grognards who, you know, measuring things with tape, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, measuring tape uh, on a, you know, virtual terrain uh, with the recent kind of like democratization of like distribution of these kind of things and people who grew up with these systems, people are creating all kinds of different things that are moving away from that and are kind of based on their own, like powered by the apocalypse is one of them. Um, But there's literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of things out there that uh, try to get at something a little bit more interesting that kind of tries to divorce it from that heritage. And it's a really, it's daunting, uh, to say the least, because there's so many, but it's exciting because, like, you know, we can be playing about, uh, you know, uh, Soviet air women, or we could be playing about, you know, bootleggers in the 30s, or we can be playing as kids at home on a snow day. Like, I mean, it's really, really remarkable, the like, the breadth of it that is available now. Yeah, that's really important. Actually, when you guys were hitting on... Um the different kinds of settings. And I know I mentioned the Victorian era of story. One of the things I try to think about, and I actually asked questions about this to my GM, the first Dungeons and Dragons game I played, which is like, how are you guys dealing with, like, does race and class like exist in this context? Like if I choose to play a female character, am I going to be dealing with sexual harassment or like are characters going to think treat me different? Like within the world of the game, like if you're playing Victorian, like if I want to play a black character, how is that going to happen? Like how do you guys handle those sorts of questions and decisions when you're playing games with other people? So I, I think that sort of thing is very dependent on like the group of people at the table and it's part of why safety tools are so important Mm -hmm. and why it's important to have a session zero where you talk through like here are the things that are allowed at this table and here are the things that are not um here are the ways that we will address certain things um so i i am a queer black woman 
I when I play a game one of the first things I say whether it's like a campaign that I'm starting or a one shot or like introducing like teaching new people how to play D&D is one of the first things I say is I do not play fantasy racism if I want discrimination I can walk outside and get <laughs> discrimination I do not yep. play games for that so it, and especially because I mostly taught like D&D I would even give some examples of like if you're playing an elf and you meet a drow, you are not going to be racist to them. We are not going to have this like orcs versus or like elves versus dwarves because there's so much racism built into um, the the history of that, of like that because there are all of these races and classes and all of these things, there's just like racism built into it. And that's one of the first things I say is like at my table, we don't play fantasy racism. We don't play any sort of uh, ism or phobia or any of that. I, again, like if I wanted that experience, I could literally walk outside and have it. And I don't, that is not fun for me. Um, so it's also something that like, if I'm playing with other people, I, I make sure that there is some sort of discussion of like safety tools. And, you know, if you're going to say something uncomfortable, I want to know that I can like use the X card and we can end that. And I make sure that people know, like, you won't do that at my table either. Can you explain safety tools a little bit? Um, sure. So there, there are lots and lots of safety tools. Some of the most common ones are like the X and O cards, which is you can either have like physical cards at your table or if you're playing online, you can like type it in chat. Um, but the idea behind like X and O cards is that if something happens that like you are uncomfortable, something happens in the game and you think like, no, I do not want this. You can type X or like show an X or like a red card. It's kind of a little bit different depending on who you're with. And the DM or GM sees it and says, okay, we are moving on from this. You end the scene. And part of the agreement of using safety tools is you all have to you all have to agree that like this is how they're going to be used, period. So uh, in many cases, and definitely at my table every time, the, the X card or the red card is if you show me that, we are done with that part, period. I'm not going to ask you to explain it because you've already said it's made you uncomfortable by using your X or red card and no one else at the table will either. This is not a moment to discuss this or like have an argument about it. This is... Like something happened, you said no, understood. Um, N is for if something is getting to a point where it's getting very close to uncomfortable. So we might we might just like start to uh, very organically move the story away from that thing. Um, but mm -hmm. it's not as, as serious as an X card. It's more like, hey, you know, we're getting close to a touchy subject. Let's maybe start moving in a different direction. Um, and then O is... Uh, it's especially helpful for if you're playing like a horror game or something with like very serious topics um, is especially if like you have a camera on and you're getting really into role playing. There might be something horrifying happening in the game and you're all making these faces like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, I'm so scared. Um, and someone could put in the chat, oh, question mark. And you can all respond back like, oh, like if you just type back, oh, that means I'm OK. Like the, the the thing that you're seeing on my face is me just role playing. I'm not actually disgusted. I don't need to move on. Mm. This is not an X or an N. Like it's all good. So Got that's it. that's sort of like the idea behind XNO. That's the one that I use the most often. But there are actually tons out there. There's even something called the uh, RPG Safety Toolkit. Mm. Um, uh, by, oh geez, Kiana Shaw and someone else. I unfortunately can't remember the name right this moment, but if you just look up like the RPG safety toolkit, you can find it pretty easily. And it covers, um, along with the XNO card, it covers like lines and veils and I think a couple of others that is just useful to discuss in a session zero. That's so important. There's games where I definitely wish that we'd had that on hand and did not. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm thankful that when I've spoken to GMs afterwards, they were like, oh my God, and also like disinvited the, the, the other person. But um, it would be great to have those tools with everyone. Does, are there other things like that that folks have used? Um, the only real variant I've used on that is, uh, so definitely the X card is like kind of the gold standard for um, negotiating those things. But whenever we talk with people uh, that we're about to play with, like we have that discussion straight up, like, okay, so what what are you comfortable with and what are you not comfortable with? Like we ultimately in the end, uh, we want this to be, we want people to enjoy the experience. And right. if that's like, if something that is going to affect that uh, negatively, obviously we don't want to do that. But uh, one variant on the X card that uh, I've used is uh, the hidden X card, which is literally same basic concept, except for people who uh, may feel self-conscious about throwing up an X card so everyone can see, uh, putting it in a chat, putting it in a text or something Mm. like that to the GM to make sure that it happens. And then we can move on without even, um, you know, the person feels even more free to do it, um, even if they think that, you know they're afraid that they may be impacting uh, other people's enjoyment of the game. Um, but yeah, I will I will echo that the uh, TTRPG safety toolkit is an invaluable resource uh, in terms of like, it's really changed actually a lot of how I run games because there's so much in there that I just didn't even think of when I was first playing. Um, everything from like, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uncomfortable social topics to things like, you know, ask about arachnophobia. Like things like, you know, people were just not cool with in any way. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting time to be getting into and being involved with the uh, tabletop community, tabletop RPG community, because this is a subject that is more and more at the forefront of people's minds and being talked about more, Um, you know, issues of racism, sexism, inclusivity. Um, how to have more safety tools involved. Um, you know, I think that it's still an issue and it still has a lot of work to be done. Uh, but even more and more game companies, as they publish the rules for their games, they're including these toolkits uh, for how to handle sensitive subjects um, in the rules manuals themselves. Um, so teaching people as they're learning the game, like these are important things to be aware of and to incorporate into your play sessions. Yeah, the Cypher yeah. system has a really good um, like safety tools checklist. I forget what the exact, the exact title is, but something to that effect. One thing that's really important to me with games is to have it be that like any species can do any skill, like can do any thing, any particular class type or whatever. And... You know, like, obviously, if you're a species that's really large, then, like, that can be helpful for being a fighter or something. But you could you could be anything. Like, there's nothing that forbids your character from being anything. And there's nothing, there's no, you don't have to be evil or good depending on your species or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, especially with, you know, you know, D&D has its own history with, like, you know, you know, racist coding on a lot of stuff like orcs grew out of, uh, you know, the Tolkien-esque orcs, which were, you know, uh, described as savage racism. and brutal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, straight up racism, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the men from the East, you know. But games today are also now trying to deal with a lot of um, social topics, like pretty, 
dramatically because you have a lot of different creators coming in who want to speak to that. Um, so we just played a game that Iberlin referred to earlier, a game called Night Witches, which is about Soviet air women. Uh, the game that we played, uh, like straight up, you're women in a men's army. Like that's not a nice place to be. Like mm. you deal with sexism, you deal with like being, uh, you know, queerness is be like gets you hauled before the NKVD, things like that. And it's very interesting to explore that, but it's not for anyone. And you need to absolutely have those things in place. You know, the X card, the safety tools to say like, no, like, you know, we're moving away from this right now because there are things that meet, although they are interesting, they, you know, if a player doesn't want to do it, if it makes them uncomfortable, you need to walk away from it. Yeah. And before we played that game, we had a very frank conversation uh, between the three of us co-hosts and also our guests saying, okay, this is going to, you know, make sure you know what you're getting into and that if we have any topics that we either want to have behind a veil, you know, which means, you know, they happen, but we don't discuss them. You know, we kind of fade to black mm. um, or something that we just don't even want to have happen in the game or discuss, period, that if you feel comfortable that we talk about that ahead of time and make sure everyone knows uh, so we can just avoid having those situations entirely. I like it. Um, I've also addressed trying to make a point when creating new characters for everybody to share character pronouns um, because mm -hmm. you just don't want to assume. I'm actually in mm -hmm. one game right now where there's like three characters that use they, them. Um, and like one of the characters was definitely not one I would have assumed based on what I'd known. So I was glad that I asked, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the questions I got sent to me was for how do we, a lot of people who have kids, like their kids want to play and their parents and they're like, I, I don't know how to help my kid. Obviously, I do think that very little kids don't have the, like, they're not going to be able to play D&D because &D it's too complicated. And I'm sure that there's RPGs that are literally aimed at children, children. But like with older kids, like what, um, my first GM experience was actually GMing, DMing for some elementary school kids at a camp I was working out, despite the fact that I'd never played Dungeons and Dragons before. Um, I actually simplified some of the rules because that was the only way my brain could like process what was happening. And I made them fight like gelatinous cubes that you had to eat, for example, and they tasted mm. like raspberry. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, if you, if you guys have thoughts about help, uh, helping parents help their kids get into a game, uh, do share. Uh, so I do know a lot of parents who are gamers who do play Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or, or something like that with their kids. Um, I'm not a parent, so I don't have the direct experience of doing that. Uh, my guess would be that some of it is just knowing your child's attention span and what they're interested in um, and kind of mm -hmm. tailoring the game experience to them knowing, you know, if they're not going to be able to sit around a table for four hours uh, playing a single session maybe, you know, considering making it a lot shorter for them. Um, things like that. Yeah, there's, I think there are lots of ways to do it. Um, I So I also don't have kids, um, but I have experienced DMing for uh, middle schoolers. There's a there's a teacher who was running um, a D&D club at an all-girls middle school here in Seattle. Uh, and I was able to come in and, and DM as a guest. And all of these middle schoolers, first of all, loved D&D &D and like knew all the rules, probably knew them better than I did. <laughs> and many of them even were DMs and had these like incredible intricate stories that they had created 
So kids certainly are capable, like younger people are certainly capable of doing it. But I think it's a matter of, um, for whatever game you're playing, like not just D&D, like I, I think this is the case for any TRPG that you're trying to play with kids, um, is just sort of like adjusting it for them. So so similar to how like I would not take a full D&D campaign with like every intricate rule to a beginner's night, I would say like start with just like the basics of what they absolutely need to know or even like simplify that if you want to, like adjust it. I I don't know that I ever play any TRPG that like entirely as written. I adjust absolutely every game that I play, um, especially if I'm the DM. If I'm not the DM, I have a conversation about it with the GM so I'm not just changing roles on the fly and making them figure it out. <laughs> but definitely if I'm GMing, I pretty much never play it as written. I adjust it um, pretty much as I go for the group that I'm playing with based on what they seem interested in. Uh, if they are struggling a lot with combat, I will like just find a way to simplify combat. Um, if they're struggling with role-playing, I'll find a way to like make role-playing a little bit different than it says in the rule book, just to keep it enjoyable for the group I'm playing with. And I think mm -hmm. that, uh, I mean, it's good to do that with any group you play with, but I think especially for kids, just sort of like as you go, figure out what parts they're struggling with and either like stop and, and try to teach them or just say like, okay, well, there's no reason for you to know all of these really complicated, intricate rules. Let's just like even like combine aspects of different TRPGs to kind of, you know, homebrew your own system. I think that there are tons and tons of options for stuff like that. I think the biggest struggle for people comes from trying to just like stay super close to the TRPG they're playing. And honestly, there's no reason to do that. Like the creator of that TRPG isn't going to pop out of your closet and say, hey, I see you're playing it slightly differently than how I wrote it. Like no one cares. <laughs> no one's going to stop you. Yeah, there's a there's a good story about I think one of the chief people at Wizards who is a uh, like he writes the rules essentially he was running a game on a stream and like he he, he encountered some situation where like the rules interacted in a very kind of strange way and he's just like oh whatever I guess we'll go with this and this is the guy who writes the rules like I mean hmm. you don't need to be at, you know you don't have to treat them as scripture you can just treat them as like uh, there's a there's a concept that I've heard uh, in the tabletop space that's like tools, not rules. Like mm -hmm. these are things to help guide the experience. They are not like like interdictions about what you can and cannot do. And if you treat it like that, um, you'll have a better time. Just straight up. Yeah, I love it. You know, one of the other things I just noted though is like I've seen when when I've seen friends post about trying to help their kids get into games. I've had people immediately respond saying, "Oh, well, here's you could do these pre-made characters," and I was just like. I can't fathom a kid who would want to do a pre-made character. Like the whole point, like why would being, why would being young make you more like less interested in developing a character? Like I, I just was like, that seems completely misguided. And I like straight up message people off because this happened multiple times when I saw people asking about for their kids saying, I do not understand why you would assume that a young person would want to have a pre-made character when like making your character is often the only part of the game that young people even complete when they're playing it on their own, for example. I've so I've observed um, because like that's like making character generation is such an important part of having fun in the first place. Like I, I don't get it. But then again, I was also that kid who never actually followed the directions on the Legos. Um, <laughs> which brings me to a question that somebody else asked, which is, what are some mechanics and priorities that are important to consider when building your first character? And this doesn't have to be just for D and D. This could be for any, you know, any TTRPG that you would like to play. 
So one thing I would keep in mind is to make sure that this may seem obvious, but make sure that it's a character you actually want to play. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it can be... If you end up making a character that you're not interested in, it's going to be a really grueling and just unfun experience. Um, So, you know, think about what are... How do I enjoy playing like what are what are my enjoyable play styles if you like fighting monsters then make a fighter if you like casting magic make a make a magic user um but you know don't fall into the trap of eh, it's my first game so i'm just gonna make something easy uh fighter seems pretty easy but then you really don't have any interest in being a fighter and so you just kind of you don't you don't get that experience of play um, mm-hmm. that real that role playing should be it should be playful it should be fun um, so so yeah make sure you do an inventory of what am I excited about in this game and go for that even if it seems like it might be a little bit more challenging yeah I mean and as an extension of that like don't treat your character as like your character is not what it can do uh, like it is not a collection of skills and abilities like Try to make a person, like a in- person who will be interesting and would have interesting responses to things that they are thrown at. Um, I think a lot of people kind of approach, especially like the more numbers heavy stuff like D&D, like, okay, like I want, I want to play this class because at level three I get this particular ability and all that kind of stuff. When really like, you know, like video games exist, you can play you know, collections of mechanical systems in that way. If you want to have fun and tell a story, make a good character for a story, I think is probably like my my chief piece of advice for that. Yeah, I think all of that makes sense. And definitely working, uh, working with your group to make sure that you're, to make sure that you're going to have the most fun, like basically exactly what April Lynn and Mike said, and also making sure you're not falling into the trap of, um, oh, we need to have like a tank, a healer, a magic user, and a damage dealer. So then you end up like, oh, I guess I'm playing a cleric, even though I don't really want to because no one else is a healer. Uh, like that just doesn't become fun uh, if you don't mm-hmm. want to do that sort of thing. But there are some groups who are very much like, no, we have to have like the perfectly balanced group. And you have to min-max your characters and do all of these things. And some people are really, really into that. So, like, if you're into that, just make sure you find a group who is also into that or else none of you are going to have any fun. So just as important as, like, making sure your character is a fun character is make sure that that character is going to be fun to play with the group that you're playing with. And speaking of fun, I um, one of the things I've observed watching a, cu- a couple of friends RPG and kind of falling out of it like that they and they fell out of it is I noticed that the character that I noticed that the character that they kept building were characters who were probably not having any fun themselves and (laughs) I think that their character who wasn't having fun was making it harder for them to have fun I, I know people who can play characters who are miserable and have a great time at it like because they're they have that removed from it and they it just works with our personality. But I think if you're starting out, like it, you're going to have a better time playing a character who's having fun than a character who like was forced to have to join the party or like who, you know, has a dark past. That's, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> if, if your character, if it's not easy for your character to have fun, then it'll make it harder for you to have fun. 
is something I have observed. Uh, something else um, real quick that I would throw in there is to remember that this isn't necessarily about winning a game. You know, it's not the, like, like a board game or a video game where you have an objective and you have to win. And if you don't win, then you lost. You know, sure, there's a goal. Usually there's a quest that you're on or you have some sort of mission or objective. But you can have just as much fun playing a role-playing game where you burn down the inn and everyone dies. Um, that can be just as an entertaining and enjoyable experience. So don't think that you have to make a character who is optimized to win the day. You can make a mm -hmm. weak character that can have a really great adventure just as easily. I'm still sad about characters dying, though, that I've dealt with. It, yeah, it can be hard, <laughs> especially if it's a long campaign where you're building up that character and they're gaining stats and skills and knowledge. That that can be hard. Um, but I think that, it, especially if you're looking at it, I think a lot of people who don't know about role-playing games go into them thinking of it in terms of it's a game that has a win condition. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that role playing, I mean, you can, you can play that way. You can play in a way that you're trying to get through the mission. If you don't, you, you lost, but I think it's way more interesting to explore the story aspect of it and, um, just exploring and, and yeah, just not being too, too focused on winning something. So one of the questions that we were submitted from a listener says, They've been playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition for about six or eight months with a small group of mostly new players. They use Steam with a program called Tabletop Simulator, and it's buggy with not fantastic audio, and they've been making it work anyway. And they're looking to change over to a group Zoom call, so at least they can see the faces. Although that does mean they'll have to make sure to put on pants. And they were wondering, <laughs> like, what kind of suggestions folks had for, like, platforms for that kind of stuff. I mean, the standard right now is a, uh, or at least the one that I use the most often is something called Roll20, Roll20.net. Um, that is a more or less free resource. They do sell like art packs and some certain functionality um, as like add-ons, but it includes video chat. It includes like a group play space that you can all manipulate um, and a lot of GM control for a lot of things. Um, and there's a lot of stuff integrated into their marketplace. So like um, certain D&D &D adventures, you could just buy the adventure and you get all the maps, you get all the rule books, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they have a bunch of smaller stuff as well. I've played Dialect on there, uh, which is a, a smaller uh, uh, language-based RPG. We enjoyed um, it. And we played it with yes. two friends who had literally never played an RPG before in their lives. Yeah. I mean, that one was a, just a great one. And like the ability of... Uh, uh, like I think it's essential if you're playing online to have video. That might be just me, but like the ability to have that collective around a table camaraderie kind of feel to it is pretty much essential. Um, so Roll20 would be my recommendation. I know there are others out there, but they don't come to mind at the moment. I had a bit of a learning curve with using Roll20 um, roll um, for... Um, for a D&D &D game that I've used it for. Like, I had a hard time keeping track of where we were on the map and finding myself physically and moving it around. But I've gotten better over time. I also keep forgetting the role. It's so funny. Like, I, I just keep forgetting to, the role commands. So I just have other people, like, for the digital rolling, I just make other people roll for me. 
when I'm using uh, when I'm using like when I'm doing it in Slack, I'll just be like somebody roll you know a d twenty plus three for me and have someone else do it. It's a There's cheat def- code. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely for all of the online uh, programs that are like meant for tabletop role playing games, there is a learning curve. Um, once you get into it, though, it can be a lot easier. There's also like if you put in the time, which it, it is a lot of time, it can be very, very time consuming to really like set it up at the beginning. It can make a lot of things easier at the end. So like Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds, um, both are basically designed for like distance role playing or like distance TRPGs. And with both of them, you can like build your character sheet into it. So that instead of having to like, for example, remember like roll commands, you can just like click on the skill you want to roll and it'll roll it for you. And it's just like that easy. So there, there are some programs like that that are made specifically for TRPGs. Um, honestly, from most of the distance games that I play, I just play on Discord. Like we just hop on video chat. I also like when I'm jamming in particular, I don't really use much in the way of like maps or sets or anything. It's all theater of the mind. Um, so even like if I do have a map, like if there's a an image I want to show them, I can just like pop it in chat and that's kind of the end of it. We don't really manipulate it very much. So just something like Discord or Zoom or... Google Hangouts, like there are all kinds of options like that that are, um, you know, free or they're like free versions of them. And it's easy to just like set it up that way and not have to worry about the learning curve of something that's made for TRPGs. But if you really want to get into it with like the really intricate maps with like all of these cool options and like building a character sheet in and having tokens for your characters, there definitely are some options that are that are really good. Um, and there are places that are getting more advanced with it. So Roll20, there's actually a new TRPG out called Burn Bright that was actually built for Roll20. So it like it, there's not a hard copy of it, of this rule book. It is all in Roll20. So because of that, because it was like built for the system, it's integrated really well. And you can like, you just build your character sheet into it. You don't have to like design your character sheet from scratch. It's all just like in there when you purchase the bundle, um, do it all like that. You can click through everything to like see all of the rules. So I think if more if more people start doing that, like really building or like adjusting their systems for these these online programs, it's going to get a lot easier for people. One more question we got was, I've been running a Powered by the Apocalypse campaign recently, and even though I'm enjoying a lot of it, I find myself missing the story opportunities and satisfying upgrades that come with equipment. What systems do you think strike a good balance for mechanical options, but not being overwhelming? I mean... Like, D&D is kind of, like, very much focused on, like, individual items, weapons, things like that. Uh, whereas, like, something like Powered by the Apocalypse is more focused on, like, the implications of situations. Mm-hmm. Like, like, one analogy I've heard is that, you know, D&D tells you how many arrows you have in your quiver, but Powered by the Apocalypse uh, thinks it's interesting if you might run out of arrows. Uh, like, and the situations are built around that. Um I mean, I think a lot of it really depends on, I guess, setting and GMing to a large degree. Like uh, some settings, like, you know, there's no such thing as like a, uh, uh, you know, a magical sword. And if you're playing like a realistic medieval, uh, uh, like medieval England type game, Um, whereas you could play something in, say, like uh, Numenera, which is a, you know, post 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 apocalypse where it's just littered with items from the past and each item has a story that goes back thousands of years and each one is significant and all that kind of stuff it very much depends on what the situation calls for it and it also really depends on the gming like in terms of like items like you know you can give you can 
provide an opportunity for people to, uh, for your players to like find a magical sword, but like, you know, it's more interesting and the story of the item is better if you build an encounter around it. Like, you know, you, you took it from, you know, the hand of a, a necromancer as opposed to you found it in the dirt by the side of the road or something mm-hmm. like that. Not that that would happen, <laughs> but it really is, uh, I don't think it's necessarily systems dependent, but um, I think like, yeah, something like a D&D would give more opportunities for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree that that seems less like a, a a need for a new system and more like a need for a conversation with the group to try to figure out how they can incorporate more storytelling surrounding um, mechanics and equipment into the game that they're playing. Because you can really do that with anything. It really just comes down to like, is the group interested in in changing things up to do it this way? Maybe having like some downtime episodes where you're not really adventuring so much as you are talking about like how you came across this like role-playing how you came across this this equipment or uh how you like trained with your mentor and that's how you got your your new skills when you leveled up like that kind of thing um so folks let let let, let's share i'm only here for everybody like share like one rpg game that we haven't mentioned yet that you think that folks who might be new to RPGs or maybe have only played D&D should consider checking out. Take it away, April Lynn. Oh, man. We only get one. Sorry. <laughs> I know. You have a whole podcast uh, for it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to share one of my all-time favorites. Uh, it's called The Quiet Year. Uh, this is actually mm. something that Mike has expressed interest mm. in playing. And it's going to be difficult to play online because it requires a map drawing component, but I'm going to find a way to make it work. Uh, I think maybe we can do it over tabletop simulator or uh, just wait until this whole plague times has calmed down a bit and we can see each other in person. Uh, but it's lot, uh, it's it's definitely more of a storytelling game uh, where instead of taking a role, role of character, you are kind of overseeing from a bird's eye or God's eye view uh, a civilization and telling stories about that civilization um, over the course of a year between uh, the end of a war and a new catastrophe that's going to happen in a year. Uh, So you have that one year to rebuild and you're using a deck of playing cards to determine what question you're going to answer about your civilization each round, and you draw things on the map. Uh, so collaboratively, as a team, you decide, okay, we are going to place this in a desert world, uh, and you pick some resources that they have scarcities and abundances of. Like, they have an abundance of food, but they are very scarce on water and shelter, um, and transportation. And over the course of the game, you answer questions about, you know, uh, people who arrive, who arrived in your city and why and what challenge do they bring? Or uh, it might prompt you about a young prophet that has appeared uh, and what what prophecy do they come bearing your civilization and what do you do about it? Um and it, it's very silly because you're mostly drawing stick figures. And uh, I mean, if you have a talented artist, you could you could spend a lot of time on it. But it's mostly just to give you an idea of what's happening in the world uh, that you can see visually. Um, and it, it's just great. I've played it probably five times now. And each time it was a different kind of world. One time it was an island civilization. So we had a chain of islands 
One time it was actually inside a space station that had a giant lake in the middle of it for some reason. Um, we played with a chalkboard that we laid out on the table and then there were different layers and we ended up like drawing on a map on the floor and then uh, it just got crazy. So hmm. it's a really great game. It's very rules light. Um, you know, the whole book is only like six pages long and it's small. Um, That's cool. So it's called, a. it's either The Quiet Year or A Quiet Year. Um, and yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. I've had... Everyone I've introduced it to has loved it and, you know, tried playing it with their friends. Interesting. Thank you. What about you, Jess? Um, a really interesting one is someone named Graham Barber, who is online as a POC gamer, recently released a, a really short one. I don't remember if it's a page or maybe like two or three pages, but it's a very short RPG that is designed to be played in your house and you can play it. Um, either by yourself or like other people that you live with. Uh, but it's perfect for right now during quarantine when we're all stuck at home. It's just like turning everything that you do at home into part of an RPG. And it's so much fun. Like And as I, like I said, you can do it completely by yourself. You can hmm. do it with friends. Uh, but it basically just like gamifies all of the things that you're doing anyway and kind of like helps to take some of the monotony out of the day when you're stuck at home all day long, just going back and forth between your your desktop and your laptop. That's amazing. What is it called again? It's called Station Hunt or Station Hunt RPG. And I think you could find it either way. Awesome. Um, and I think it's available on um, itch.io. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of games over there. Uh, what oh, yeah. about you, Mike? Um... So, I mean, yeah, again, there, there, there's too many. It's part of the reason that I really like having a podcast where I can play all kinds of different <laughs> stuff. Um, but the the one that really jumps out to me, it's been on my bucket list forever, is a game called Ten Candles. Um, Ten Candles is a game where uh, it's a horror game. Uh, it's kind of very dark, very kind of like deathly serious type of game. And you all gather around um, a table. Obviously, you can't really do this in quarantine, but there are 10 tea candles on the table. And uh, you create characters who are in this situation where they're basically, they're fighting against the dying of the light. And the hook to the story is that, like, you do not, no one gets out of it alive. Uh, like, it, the game ends with the world swathed in darkness, and the candles count as kind of a... Uh, a little bit of a timer going down. So as certain things happen in the games, uh, you know, you have to physically snuff out the candles. Um, as players die, you have to take your card where you've written your character's name and, and motivations and stuff like that and actually physically burn it. Um, it is a very exceedingly, like, intimate and, like, very tragic type of game that I'm just fascinated by the dynamic that happens there and i'm i really want to give it a shot i was hoping maybe i could do something for halloween doesn't look like that's going to happen but like it is a great concept and just i i like games that are have a little bit more uh weight to them i mean you know i like the fun stuff too but i definitely like stuff that uh have a strong thematic uh thing that they're trying to convey and 10 candles is really like 
one of the ones that I think is the strongest mm. one. It just cracks me up that Mike also chose for us to play on the podcast a game about forest animals going to the village festival. Hooray. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm a man of contrast. What can I say? <laughs> well, I, for my game, um, it's one that I think Mike introduced me to, if I'm not mistaken. It is called Fiasco, which is basically a make no, your own classic. Yeah, make your own Coen Brothers movie RPG game. Uh, I recommend it for a couple of reasons. One, there's no GM, so everybody is a player equally running it. You don't have to put that burden on any one person. Uh, two, it's like no math at all. Uh, three, some of the funniest things that have ever happened in any RPG I've ever played have happened in Fiasco, including inventing a new t- inventing a new form of political graft. Um, like it just has so much room for really funny creative character work. But another reason, which is one that is not necessary for me, but might be helpful for folks trying to bring in new players, is that Fiasco is not existing in a fantasy world at all. So if you have friends who are like allergic to nerd stuff, allergic to <laughs> RPG, sci-fi, like sort of no sort of sorcery, no no robots in space no superheroes, whatever. They're that kind of person. Well, Fiasco is a Coen Brothers movie. So the settings are things like, you know, a small Southern town where everybody knows everybody or ice station um, in the Arctic, which, you know, like it's, it's, it's not, it's not genre-y in those ways. So if people have those kind of hangups, you can still play this game. And uh, apparently they have an installation for playing it on Roll20, which means that you could play it online quite easily. Um, and you also could reskin it to make it be a more traditional nerdy setting if you so chose. Not even a question. And actually, I will take host's privilege to recommend one more game, which I'm part of a beta test of. It's called Still Fleet. Um, Still Fleet kept in space. No one can hear you. Period. Um, the description on the site is Still Fleet is a grim, dark, politically charged tabletop role-playing game set in space far into the ruinous future. Um, And so if you'd like to get into a new science fiction, very political, very creative, this is not like ripping off of the other sci-fi games I've seen before in terms of the world building at all. Um, Anti-corporate game made by some leftists. Uh, Go to stillfleet.com and check that out. And so um, to my guests, um, I would like... But does everybody have one piece of advice that you'd like to impart to listeners who are getting started in the world of RPGs that you haven't given yet? Um, I'll give it to you, April Lynn. Oh, no. Uh, again, one piece of advice. I, I Just have fun. Yeah. <laughs> it feels kind of trite, but um, it's supposed to be a game. So experiment. If you don't like something... You don't have to keep doing it and you can, it's okay to say "Mm, that system wasn't for me and try a different one. Um, Yeah. Just have fun with it. I love it. I should have gone first so that I would have given you guys more time to prepare. (laughs) uh, (laughs) What about you, Jess? Um, I think similar, just uh, find, try to make sure that you find the right group for you. Mm. Um, The right group that will be fun for you because Uh, Definitely there's that aspect of like different people are going to be interested in different things. They're going to be looking for different things out of any sort of game like this. So try to find the people who are going to enjoy the same aspects of of a TRPD that you're going to enjoy so that it's fun for everyone. Mike? Um, I'd say 
probably my biggest piece of advice is embrace failure. Mm-hmm. Like try try systems. Uh, if you don't like them, you don't like them. But also in the middle of a game, uh, I've seen a lot of people come in like they have a very specific way that they want to. They think a game's going to go. Um, as any GM will tell you, like players will destroy your carefully laid plans within about five minutes. <laughs> and uh, I've often found that like the more interesting things happen when everything goes like off the rails in terms of prep and in terms of failure. Like, you know, yeah, it's it's great to have, you know, a character slay the evil king, but it's more interesting if the evil king slays the hero because then you don't know what the hell's mm-hmm. going to happen. And it gets way more interesting as a result of that. Um, just like play to see what happens is kind of the thing from Dungeon World. And, you know, that includes failure as well. I would say that um, I'm going to share why I think that Bard is the most new player friendly class to play in Dungeons and Dragons, even though I don't like (laughs) Bards. I don't like the way Bards work as much in the current system as they did in the one before, but we'll deal with that later. Here's the top reasons. One, almost no math. Two, nice balance of fighting skills and magic. Three, spells aren't too hard. Four, you can dabble in roguish skills as well. Five, nothing is ever entirely your fault. (laughs) and six and most importantly you have an excuse to soundtrack the entire game yourself (laughs) so that is a strong argument for bard thank you Mm -hmm. thank you um so uh where mike where can our listeners uh see more of your work uh, yeah, I am on Twitter at Galenblade, G-A-L-E-N-B-L-A-D-E, and uh, April Lynn and I host the One Shot Test Kitchen, one Shot Test Kitchen podcast, which is on Twitter at uh, OSTK Podcast. And on every podcast platform, I believe, as well, more or less. Uh, everyone under the sun and some <laughs> that aren't. Uh, Jess, <laughs> what about you? Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at WriteJessR, W-I-I-T-E-J-E-S-S-R. Um, and you can find all of the the work that I do, the adventures I've published, all of that on my website, writejess.com. And you can find me playing D&D with the D20 Dames uh, on every podcast network or on our website, d20dames.com. It's a really great uh, playthrough podcast for learning D&D folks. So definitely check it out if you want to hear what a game feels like. And what about you, April Lynn? Yeah, so like Mike mentioned, uh, One Shot Test Kitchen uh, is also uh, at OSTK Podcast on uh, Instagram and also on Facebook, Uh, so not just Twitter. And you can find me uh, on Instagram mostly, uh, A-L-C-A-O-U-E-T-T-E, and also writing and editing over at lovethynerd.com. Looks like there's some really good articles there. I'm going to have to spend some time checking out this site. Yeah, actually, um, just to plug one of them, we wrote a a board game, uh, 15 board game gateways to tabletop role-playing games article. Mm. Um, So it's 15 board games that I was kind of talking about earlier that are have some of the role-playing mechanics, either storytelling or dungeon crawling, uh, but in a board game setting. So kind of if you want to make that transition from board games into role-playing games. That's a really cool idea. That's a cool idea. And as for me, I'm at Graphic Policy Radio, and my Twitter handle is E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Who knows, maybe I can play TTRPG Matchmaker for some listeners. If you're looking for other folks to connect with, we can do a thread perhaps on my Twitter account. Um, so, yep, Graphic Policy on all the podcast play platforms, please rate and review. 
And as we like to say, keep it geeky.